and talk. Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. This is Alex and I get to be a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church. We're going through this three-year Bible reading plan and we're using that plan to grow up in our faith and talk about God's Word because eternities are changed when Jesus followers grow up in their faith and talk about God's Word. So that's what we're going to do today. And we have with us on the show, once again, a returning guest, Patty H., otherwise known as Pat Harrington. Pat, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself uh, that we may not have known from last time. Okay. Well, it's been a while, so I'm not quite sure what I uh, talked about last time. But uh, yes, I'm a member of Messiah. I've been a member for about 10 years. And uh, 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 happily being a member and uh, uh, enjoying uh, Pastor Alex's uh, uh, vocation and calling here at Messiah through the last year. It's just been just a little bit over a year, I think, since Alex. Yep. Came to us right out of seminary in St. Louis, and uh, so uh, I don't know what else you might want to. I I am currently an elder. I've been an elder for a number of years, and uh, uh, really enjoy these these uh, type of Bible studies. It really helps me understand what's going on. Things that sometimes are kind of confusing on my own uh, when I read them, especially some of the Old Testament stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's really enjoyable to work through these and, uh, and uh, find out what it's really all about. Yeah, well, and you and I were kind of talking uh, not too long ago. You were kind of saying that Second Samuel, which is what we're jumping into today, is is a good book to read in the Old Testament because it's kind of like a drama. So yes, yeah. So, Lots of stuff happening. Exactly. Yeah. So today we are going to cover readings that go from September 12th through the 18th. Now I always skip over the Psalms, and the reason for that is because this is all about being accessible, being focused in on just a little bit. We don't want to make a one-and-a-half, two-hour uh, commentary on the Old Testament. So we're going to be focusing on Second Samuel chapters 5 through 8. So let's do a quick summary of what's happening here. So, we start in chapter 5, and David gets anointed by some of his fellow uh, men. He gets kind of re-anointed, and they are acknowledging him as the true king. He was anointed a long time ago while Saul was king. He uh, was anointed by, uh, maybe it was Samuel the prophet that he was anointed by. But he gets anointed again at Hebron. And um, he's about to take over Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem there are these people called the Jebusites, and the Jebusites are mean, mean people. In fact, they, they are so mean that they taunt David by saying, hey, you can't even defeat the lame and the blind people into our, in, that are in our city, so we'll just send them out to you, and you won't even be able to defeat them. And then J David comes in with a comeback, and uh, it doesn't sound very nice. They battle each other, and David takes over Jerusalem, the city of Zion, also known as the city of David, and that becomes the capital of Israel. He also defeats the Philistines. They bring back the ark. They have a mishap with bringing back the ark. Um, one guy dies because he accidentally touches the ark. A lot of this is going to sound similar from last time's episode, which was in First Chronicles. Uh, which kind of has some overlap here. Uh, but David gets gets the yips, and he uh, puts the uh, ark in a tent for a while. Once he gets over that, 
he uh, celebrates again and he dances in his underwear. Then his wife gets mad that he is dancing in his underwear and he says, so what? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And then Yahweh or God makes a covenant with David saying, hey, I'm going to establish your house in this land, in this city even, and your descendants, someone coming after you, is going to build up my house. And that ends up being Solomon building the literal temple of God, and later on, Jesus, who is the new temple of God. And now, whenever we go anywhere, Jesus goes with us. So the temple of God goes wherever we go, but here there is a very clear uh, just God saying, we're going to build a house. You need to build a house for me, and one of your kids is going to do it, and I'm going to protect you and your family. And then it closes off with a list of victories of David winning a bunch of battles because he is a winner. So that's what happens in the chapters. So, Pat, what stood out to you when you were reading this? Well, I think the first thing that stood out is that at this point in the story, uh, David becomes king over all of Israel, and he has spent his lifetime, uh, or, or much of his lifetime, in war, in conflict, uh, hmm. internally. And and now you think, well, that, this is a great time to be a king. No, he, he still had many wars to fight, starting off with Jerusalem, and then the Philistines, not once, but twice, and later in the chapter, again and again. And uh, as, as well as other other nations around him, so it seemed to be a continuous uh, time of, of war against the Israel's against the enemies of, of Israel and, and God's people. Um, that stood out to me uh, in particular, I believe. Uh, secondly, of course, is that God was on His side. God made these victories possible, and was very. It was very clear, even the, the, the second battle with the Philistines, where uh, God said, he asked God, should I go out and fight him again? And he said, no, don't do that. Go around to the rear and wait. And they heard marching feet in the treetops, hmm. and it was God's angels that defeated the Philistines for him at that point. Nice. But those, those two things really jumped out at me. Yeah. Let's talk about those rustling treetops. So, by the way, whenever you hear rustling treetops, now you can think about angel just jumping up in the treetops or maybe that creeps you out a little bit i don't know but hey um the first time david is about to go up to the philistines the thing that really stood out to me was the fact that in uh, i think verse 9 19 of chapter 5 david asked god he he inquired of the lord it said hey god should i go up and defeat the philistines and god says yes and what stood out to me was that David first prayed about this decision that he was going to make. He's been in battles and battles after battles, and he knows the Philistines are not a part of God's people. They're enemies to the people of Israel. So it could have been easy for him to just say, you know what, this is obvious. Uh, of course I should go and kill the Philistines. But he still inquired of God, even when the answer was maybe obvious to uh, most people at that time. He still asked God, what should I do? And I think that's a good model for us. Even when it seems like the answer is really clear, that's something I have trouble with sometimes. Is, is you know Sometimes people are like, pray about this decision or pray, be prayerful in this decision. And I'm like, okay, uh, God, 
should I do this? And then I usually don't get um, the, you know, quite crystal clear answer I'm always looking for. But it's a good practice of turning to God and asking him, should I do this, including him in, in, in that conversation, in that decision-making process. And he does it again, and he says, God, should I go up and, uh, um, and, and go and attack the Philistines a second time? And God says, you shall not go up. This time, go around the back door, and once you hear the angels rustling and marching up in the trees, then you know the Lord has given you the victory, and you can go forward. So um, in chapter 8, it also says a couple of times, I think, it's the, the chapter that lists David's victory. It says, um, David, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. So uh, that's a, a good insight that you pointed out there, Pat. Um, something that stood out to me was that even in all of these things, uh, David, even in all his experience, David still asked God to help him with his decisions. Yes, I think that's very important. Uh, when you ask God for that, you you entertain the possibility that you, you may not get to do what you want to do. That is true, yeah. That is true. Um, I think something that was confusing to me at first, so I had to kind of look it up a little bit, is um, in chapter 5 where the Jebusites, so the people, the enemies of Israel who were in, who were occupying the area that we know as Jerusalem uh, before it became the capital city under David, uh, they were kind of mocking David and they said, you will not come in here into our city. We are so confident in our, our cities and our fortifications and our walls. You're not going to come in here. But the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. So they're basically saying, you're not strong enough to come in here, and even the weakest of our citizens, uh, you would not be able to defeat. So, you know, you might as well try and defeat them. But then David comes back um, with, uh, well, he, he, he has a comeback, and David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him go up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Um, therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into, into the house. I'm kind of thinking, whoa, David, that's not very loving. That's not very nice. That's not very godlike. <laughs> Um, but what I was kind of looking at, I was kind of confused by that, a little concerned. Um, and what that kind of is, is he's kind of bringing their taunt back to them. He's kind of saying, you know, you are, you're, you're kind of using your, your uh, disabled or marginalized citizens to like make fun of me and my army and taunt me and my army. Um, so, you know, I'm going to, come back at you with that. Um, so he, he, he's not, I, I think he's kind of exaggerating there. That's one of the notes that I read is that he's kind of exaggerating and just using the taunt and language that the enemies are using to come back at them and say, you know what? Uh, we are going to, you've included them into this. So because you just said that, uh, we're going to destroy all of you, including these people who are marginalized. Um, because, your your enemies and you're you're using them and so now you brought them into this and that's what you get that's the consequences of that action so 
that was interesting, kind of confusing to me, still a little unsettling, but uh, the note said that David is just kind of using the language of, you brought them into this, now this is what you get for it, so. Exactly. Something that uh, confused me and maybe I didn't understand is when, when Mikhail, his wife, yes. came out to him, and I, I looked a few of these things up, but just in the comments already, Pastor, I, I must have missed something. Um, she, number one, I did not understand that she was his wife at the time this took place. I read that she was his wife much earlier, and that she had another marriage. But at, at this point in time in Samuel, in Second Samuel five. This is his wife, is that correct? That is correct. Uh, she was okay. taken away from David because David, um, he was David's, she was David's wife under the time that David was kind of under Saul, you know, playing the harp, uh-huh. defeating Goliath, sure. all, Goliath, all that, all that jazz. And, um, and then, uh, you know, he said, I want to marry uh, Michael or McCall, however you pronounce it. And mm-hmm. uh, Saul said, okay, sure. Well, um, McC- uh, Michael helped David escape from Saul because David gave Saul like a million chances and wasn't convinced that Saul was after him. And Jonathan and Michael were saying, yes, he is. So he escaped. And after that escape, um, uh, Saul gave his daughter, Michael to another man. And actually there's a story that I think we talked about in either first Samuel or or, or earlier, or I think maybe First Samuel, there's a story where David actually goes and gets his wife back from the guy who was now had had married Michael after David had escaped from Saul, and so then okay. the poor dude is, I mean, Michael goes back to David, and the poor dude is like weeping and and upset about that. I mean, of course he would be, but really that's the result of Saul um, just being manipulative and putting his daughter in a position that she shouldn't have been in, um, you know, but David's also taken some concubines and wives. And so that's something that was concerning as well is that David, uh, while he is considered a great man, uh, a, a man after God's own heart, he was still involved in taking multiple wives and concubines and, uh, doing things that were not according to, to God's will and his, or God's design even, for the family unit or for marriage. Um, but at this time, Maca- uh, Michael is David's wife. So he, David has, has gotten her back as his wife at this point. So, But she is one of many wives at this point. So. Okay, and it sounds, what was a little confusing to me is that apparently she, it was not a happy marriage is because she came out and <laughs> chastised him. And, and of course, I had the and they do a little research, mm. you know, what the, 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 the type of clothes he had on. Uh, you mentioned he was wearing, he was dancing around in his underwear. It's in a linen ephod or ephod. And uh, I, I, the things I found sounded like it was a ceremonial type garment. So I was like, where is she coming from? Yeah. You know, that he's dancing around, you know, inappropriately and this and that. But that, that'd be, that's just kind of a detail, but she was obviously not happy at all. Right. She rebuking, you know, and uh, it's pretty contemptible. And, and he retorted back to her, like, yeah, I'll, I'll dance like this 
I'm doing it for God. I'll do this and worse, you know. Right. And uh, I just wasn't quite sure what was going on with the right. marriage at that time. She certainly wasn't very happy with him. So she says, how the king of, I, she's being sarcastic here, and I think Ed and I talked about, kind of referred back to this account to give us more clarity on uh, First Chronicles on, in our last episode. But she says, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servant female servants as one of the vulgar fellows shamefully uncovers himself. So I think um, what was happening was that David was supposed to be, it was, I think it was traditional that he was, you know, supposed to be wearing some outer garments and he took off those outer garments. He wasn't wearing uh, the outer clothes or uh, nice clothes that he was supposed to be wearing and probably because they were hard to dance in. And so it's kind of like the king doesn't dance. The king doesn't do those no. types of things. It's kind of like, um, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of just making inferences based off of the, the context here. Uh, but it seems like this was not considered an honorable thing to do. So David is kind of pushing the envelope here. He's kind of breaking the boundaries of what was considered culturally and socially acceptable and Michael is saying, you're dishonoring yourself. You're not supposed to be dancing around like this. That's the job of of the common people. You're supposed to be okay. you know, stoic and upright. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's kind of like even priest or like, you know, like a pastor today. Like, oh, you're supposed to be this, you know, kind of person or whatever. Or like, uh, I guess, the queen. Think about the Queen of mm -hmm. England, you know, people expect, don't expect the Queen of England to go around, you know, dancing to some hip hop song, but, right, or you know, break she, dancing or, right, or go break dancing. Uh, I mean, whatever, you know, whatever exercise routine she has, if she's break dancing at like 80 years old, I want to know about, so I can do that. <laughs> but, um, but I, I think that's kind of what's at play here. What we can can definitely infer from the context is that it was considered culturally dishonorable for David to be uh, to uh, be open in public with his his undergarments. So mm -hmm. it it is a type of garment, but it is an undergarment. So like in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, you know Joseph. Um, it wasn't like Potiphar's wife just took off all of his clothes <laughs> and uh, he was like standing there naked and was like, oh no, what do I do? It was actually, he took off his, his outer garment and he was in his undergarment. And uh, that's kind of what Jesus is talking about when he says, if somebody takes your tunic or your cloak, give to them your tunic also. So he's not saying give them all your clothes mm. and walk around naked it was just the style of dress in those days. It was kind of like, um, you didn't, you know, only like royal people did not, uh, go, did not present themselves in their, their outer garment and clothes, sure. nice clothes were a sign of royal, were a sign of, uh, of wealth and wealth was even believed to be a sign of like God's blessings upon you. And so mm -hmm. if you think about all those things and kind of put those pieces together, I think we can make a good, um, educated guess 
that David is kind of breaking the social norm of what people thought a king should be. Mm-hmm. And he is kind of joining in with the people and the dancing and the celebration. Um, and Michael is saying, you shouldn't be doing this. She's kind of enforcing the norm. And in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, it kind of mirrors the way Jesus was. You know, Jesus was a, a considered by many, even the Pharisees considered Jesus a great rabbi, a great teacher. Um, and they, they said, but who is this guy that associates with sinners and tech collectors and, mm-hmm. and those mm-hmm. kinds of things? And, um, you know, why it was scandalous in a way when Jesus um, removed his outer garment and tied it around his waist and washed the disciples' feet because that was mm-hmm. not something that a rabbi did. A rabbi was supposed to be uh, this figure that you looked up to. He wasn't, he didn't go and, you know, be the servant. Uh, but Jesus is kind of indicating a different way of leading. He's a servant leader. And in a way, David is just reflecting uh, God's design for people. I think we have rules and regulations and kind of unwritten codes sometimes in our culture, which can be helpful. We have manners and things that are appropriate and inappropriate. But here he, he kind of says to Michael, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm not going to let your opinions rule over me. I'm going to do what I think is honorable to God. And this is my act of celebration. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like when we think about sometimes people, especially Lutherans, are sometimes uncomfortable with clapping in church. And mm-hmm. we think about, well, we don't want to, we don't want to, we only want to praise God. We don't want to, you know, make it be like a performance and those kinds of things. And and, and those are, we still struggle with those kinds of things today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's what's at play here in this interaction. That's a great explanation, and, and so it seems that David was somewhat Christ-like in that. I think from so. that standpoint, yeah. humbling himself to be one of the one of the regular people who were who were dancing and praising God as they moved the ark along. Right. And, uh, now, the other the other thing that well, go ahead. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to say he was celebrating quite a bit, and then the incident with the ark happened, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he got all depressed. And that was an interesting thing that stuck out to me in verse 8 of chapter 6. It says, David was angry with the Lord. Yes. Uh, David was angry with the Lord. He he was angry with the Lord, and he, and he took it to the Lord. And that's like, he models what it, you know, he wasn't just like, oh, yeah, everything's good. Or he wasn't necessarily always happy with God's, God sticking to his laws and what he said, you know. Um, so the, the Uzzah died because he touched the ark. Um, even if it might've been accidentally, but they shouldn't have been carrying the ark in a cart. They should have been carrying it by poles too. Um, so David kind of in his depression, uh, kind of cut the, the party short and put the ark away. And then I think they celebrate more later when they come into the city. And I think that's where you have the interaction of him dancing around and then his wife mm-hmm. coming out and being mad with him. So, yep. Yeah. yeah. That, that, uh, caused me some concern the first time I read it that he's a, here he was trying to do the right thing and the oxen stumbled and it sounds like the ark was in danger of falling off the cart. So he reached back with his arm 
and you know died for, for his trouble. Very well intentioned, but uh, I had to dig a little deeper and, and research that a little bit. And what, as you just said, it's no, there was disobedience to God involved in this. This is not the way you carry the ark. You know, right. you have people carrying it with poles and so forth. You don't put it on a cart. And uh, it, 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 so Perizzo was just following directions, but uh, he paid the price for disobedience, which uh, also is a, kind of a larger issue of, of what God tells us is extremely important. And uh, yeah. it's very just God. He expects us to do what he says. Right. Um, and uh, as you said, David, David was very angry and depressed about this and, and wouldn't move it from that point. I thought, well, maybe I shouldn't even move it, you know, yeah. for several months. And uh, it took him some time to get over that. And then he decided to follow God, to be obedient to God and move mm. the ark in the way that right. was correct. Right. And, and I, uh, yeah, I think there's a good point that you bring up that he was, he decided to eventually be obedient to God. And get it out of that temporary tent because God gave him the city for a reason. God gave him the city because he said, all right, we've been in tents for a while. We've been nomadic for long enough. We're going to build a house. It's going to be nice. I'm going to dwell there. It's just an act of honoring God. And mm-hmm. and even though it might seem kind of weird that God says you have to carry the ark this way, it might seem legalistic. It's a matter of are you going to trust God? Are you going to obey him? Um, with everything that is in you, or are you just going to say, ah, probably doesn't matter, probably doesn't matter that much, and that's kind of what they were doing. They were so, um, they were maybe so afraid of the ark, or they had moved, uh, the Philistines had moved the ark in a, in a cart, and so they were just moving the ark just like the enemy was, and they were not acting and moving God's artifact the way he wanted his people to do. So first of all, the reason why that happened was because they weren't obeying God in the first place, and there were consequences for that. And really, the person that was, in the end, most responsible for it was for Uzzah dying was David, because David mm-hmm. should have been saying, no, we're going to get this out of the cart. We're not going to carry this like the Philistines. We're, we're going to carry this like the people of Israel who were delivered from Egypt long ago, and we are going to carry it with the poles just the way God told us to. We're going to we're going to follow Him, um, but He didn't do that, and as a result, somebody died, and there are consequences for our actions. So that's an important lesson, you know. It's it, it's it like, is, and it, yeah, it, yeah, it, it kind of reminds me that God these rules that God gives us are not just capricious just because yeah. do as I say type thing that we're, we're, God has truly has real power yeah. so I guess I, I, I kind of think about like, like electrical voltage mm-hmm. um, you, you know and I've had experiences where people I've worked with have, have uh, well intentionally got themselves shocked and are lucky to be alive you know they yeah. Because that, that power is there, and that power doesn't discriminate between, well, I wanted, I'm, I'm trying to do the right thing. You know, it's right. just, if you make a mistake, you're going to pay the consequences. Right. And uh, it truly is, uh, is, is power. It's not, not just, 
some good things to, to do, you know. And uh, in, in that case, it was the art. Fortunately, we don't have to uh, deal with that now, but the creator of everything truly has power. Right? Yes. That we have to be very uh, aware of. Yeah, definitely. I think it's, uh, that's kind of what's meant by the fear of the Lord. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like a, a, a fear of respect, you know, it's like a storm happens and you're like, oh my goodness, like I better go inside or I better just be careful, you know, like this, mm-hmm. this is serious power here, you know, yeah, and it's not absolutely. like we have to be afraid of that necessarily, but, or and we don't have to be afraid of God because of what he's done in Christ, but we still have a, a good respect a good mm-hmm. honoring and and that's what is kind of meant by the fear of the lord um mm-hmm. i think what gives me hope is uh really chapter seven is a is a is a chapter of great hope i think it's interesting Absolutely. that um you know uh david's like hey you know i forget what he says at the beginning he's kind of like oh um the king said to nathan the prophet see now i dwell in a house of cedar but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said, mm-hmm. Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart. The Lord is with you. Hey, it's all good, man. All good. You're in this nice house. The ark is in this goat tent over here. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's all good. Do whatever's in your heart, whatever you think is right. The Lord's with you, man. And then Nathan goes away and God reveals to Nathan, um, I would like my uh, ark to be put in a house of cedar as well. Um, And uh, so he tells David that uh, through Nathan and also reminds David, um, hey, your your family is going to build this house and my ark is going to dwell in it. It's going to be a temple that's permanent and a permanent reminder of my presence among you in this city that I've given to you. And, um, and then he just establishes a covenant with David. I'm going to establish your offspring. And in verse 15 of chapter seven, he's like, my love, my steadfast love will not depart from you. And I think that to me is, is a really gospel, good news oriented verse for this section of scripture. Absolutely. And, uh, it's kind of one-sided. All David has to do is build a house out of wood for the ark, <laughs> and God gives him eternal uh, success, at, you know, mm-hmm. an eternal throne, and uh, uh, for him and his family and his and all his descendants, uh, it, it's like well, covenant. It, it's a promise. It seems you know most promises are kind of even, Stephen. This one was all in. David came out ahead on, on that. I mean, that, you know. Yeah. As as we do with, with Jesus, uh, right? We get a lot that we don't deserve. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. And I think one interesting thing that I I thought about was that here God God desires a permanent structure, a permanent thing uh, to to bring out His grace and His presence among the people. And then he overcomes through Jesus the things that are thought to be permanent, like death, um, mm-hmm. in order to bring something brand new um, into the world. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of interesting how he he works through things that um, 
originally through David, he says, I want a permanent house, a permanent dwelling, or he, that's the language that mm-hmm. he uses, permanent. Uh, it's going to mm-hmm. be fixed. Um, and we know actually that it's a building, buildings are not fixed, but that's kind of the idea that I want something fixed and, and, and set forward and straight here, and I'm going to work through that. And then he completely obliterates the thing that people believe to be totally permanent, which is death. Uh, through Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. So um, let's take a break. We've talked about a lot of really awesome things. So we will be right back after this. So we're going to ask a, uh, the application question. So do you have something in mind uh, that you would, would, after we come back from the break, do you have something in mind uh, that is like, what, how, how is this important to our life today? Do you have something in mind for that? Well, I think uh, obviously that God keeps his promises. We can okay. take great hope in that. And what okay. we were just talking about, the covenant with David, yeah. And, uh, God said, if you do this for me, it's, it's kind of like keep a place in your heart for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it, maybe the, the temple, I just thought of that, maybe it could represent yeah. uh, faith, which is which we can't give ourselves, but it's given to us. Yeah. Uh, then I will give you eternal life. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, that's cool. a little bit too far, but not. But, no. uh, yeah. All right. Okay. So we'll come back from the break. I'll ask you the question. You give that answer, and we'll roll with it. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. We are back from a short break. Hope you were able to reflect a little bit and digest some of those things that we've talked about. We hope this is helpful for you. Uh, We just want to uh, help God's word be seen as something that's accessible and still relevant today because it it really is. Uh, Even these stories of old are awesome stories of God working and the same God in these stories is the God that walks with us today. So, Pat, how do you see this section of Scripture having importance to our lives today? Well, I, I think what really jumps out here is that God, number one, is all-powerful, and He keeps His promises to us. He promises David and, and, and us that we will essentially have eternal life, um, that all we have to do is keep a place for Him, a permanent place for Him, and in return, He gives us he gives us heaven. He gives us an eternal life and, and uh, he, he, as, a, as a king, a, a kingly life for us. Not, not just not this invisible life, but uh, yeah. the, the, the language is so uh, powerful, you know, a throne, a kingly, this type of thing. And that, that's, a, that's a pretty good, pretty good sized promise that God gives us. And, and yet we see this through the works of in the Old Testament that uh, he keeps his promises and we have that promises as well through Jesus, God giving us Jesus. Yeah, I like that you bring that up. I think God's promises are so secure and we can rest on those promises and realize that, you know, David rested on the promises of God when he did things that pushed the envelope a little bit, 
when he went and danced in this, uh, I guess, leotard, or it's called a linenified. And, um, you know, he, he pushed the envelope. He celebrated. He did things that were different. Um, it was a new era. And God did things that were different. You know, God's character doesn't change. God's steadfast love for us does not change. But God himself changes what he does all the time. Jesus coming to earth, the incarnation of Christ, is one of the biggest changes of all time. And it's God who did it. So change isn't a bad thing. God's promises remain unchanged. And that's the thing that we get to anchor on and hold to. And I think if we hold on to that, uh, we can deal with the changes that happen around us. We can make changes and push the envelope a little bit and, and challenge ourselves and, and, and celebrate and, and, and do things that maybe um, haven't been done before, um, all while you know trying to make decisions prayerfully like David did, and all while um, doing things faithfully as David did and listening to God. Uh, but I think those promises of God, His love for us, His eternal security and faithfulness to us, uh, covers us so much that I think maybe for me, if I rested a little more on the promises of God and knowing that God's with me, knowing that he forgives me, knowing that it's what he thinks of me that's most important, then I probably wouldn't be so worried about even the opinions of others. You know, kind of like David wasn't wasn't so worried about Michael's opinion of him, but he he cared about following God. So, um. I yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, the other thing, there is the last, almost the last half of chapter 7, when David praised, and thanks God, everyone, it, it just really struck me how he could communicate with God in such a direct manner. But in that particular prayer, he asked God, who, who am I mm. that you give me these favors, that you treat me so well? And who yeah. are who are the people that, that I rule over? We've disobeyed you continuously. We've done all these horrible things, and yet you keep your promises. You take care of us, and you promise to take care of us forever. And uh, it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. It uh, definitely applies to our lives today. Awesome. Well, Pat, thanks for uh, talking with me about God's Word and modeling for uh, people the relevance of God's word and his promises today through the stories of David and applying to the stories of our lives. So we always like to end our time with a random question. And I don't know if I've asked this question before. I might have. It's hard to remember. I use the same list on the internet every time. And um, this is an interesting question. And it has to do with uh, clothes since we were talking about David and his clothing. The question is, if you were transported 400 years into the past with no clothes or anything else, how would you prove that you were from the future? <laughs> how would I prove? Have you been watching Outlander on Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> she was only transported 200 years yeah, of her modern yeah, dress. Right. Uh, looked like underwear. They, to they those were people. like, what are, what, is your, what are you wearing? Yeah. <laughs> so, how could I prove I was from the future? Yeah, no clothes. 
So, I mean, no you'd have to find all. some, like at a store. Yeah, I'd have to find some clothes. Yeah. But then you would have to figure out how to prove that you were from the future. Well, I suppose I could, I could, uh, I'd have to think about that, but I suppose I could uh, demonstrate some 21st century knowledge or technology. Yes. Uh, although I might be accused of being a sorcerer. Yeah, um, I forgot about you know. that. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd have to think, um, you know, how that might how that might take shape. Uh, obviously, I couldn't build a cell phone. I could talk about no. uh, men and women flying in the air. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, things like that, or, or uh, uh, talking to each other over great distances, and uh, <laughs> maybe maybe demonstrate with a tin can telephone or something like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be tricky. Uh, maybe. Well, I want. Did they have air windmills back then? Like, you could sort of try to make an air gen, like an air generator. You know, a windmill that oh, yeah. generates electricity yeah. like that. Yeah, try to try to jump ahead of. Uh, they Franklin. did that with water. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, I think yeah, a little, little later than that is when they started. You know, with lightning rods and really trying to harness the power of the heavens. Yeah, and, uh, and, and all that kind of stuff. I think I, I think that's what I would try and and lean towards is something simple mm-hmm. that. Uh, something that people were familiar with, but that could be used to demonstrate right. possibilities of, of something greater. Yes. So um, since you mentioned like the whole, you know, people thinking you're a witch or a sorcerer or something like that, cause that was a real thing. And, um, uh-huh. and you can run into that problem and then get hanged and then that would yeah, be good. Or worse. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I know. So I think well, I don't know. I, I was almost thinking that I'd go to like a priest or a pastor or somebody because I would, I would think like, Hey, you know, like I'm that, that, you know, cause they accept, you know, the supernatural belief and, and, sure. and understand like, Hey, or maybe a monastery. Like I, I you know, I feel like they would be um, removed enough from the world and they would kind of let me in uh, for a while. And, um, and those kind of, uh, kinds of thing and maybe you know what maybe instead of like because I, I i like what you said trying to you know come up with those inventions and show people hey you know like this is what we have you know and and i know this stuff um i maybe i could go a different route like a theological route and i could go into the monastery and i could kind of argue theology with them and 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 show them some developments in theology and that kind of stuff, but now I now I think I'm thinking well, yeah, way too highly so, of myself. But. Well, yeah, I mean, you could, you could talk about the fact that in uh, the future there will be no slaves. 400 years ago, Ooh, yes, yes, slavery was throughout the whole world. And yeah, that is that's true. all people had ever known. And you could yeah. say there will be a time when uh, there will be no slaves. Yeah. Slaves can own property and vote and acquire wealth and, and so forth. Right. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that would be, be uh, that would be cool. That would be a cool way to, of going about it. You could yeah. also, I think, dev- you know, try to do some makeshift plumbing because uh, plumbing <laughs> was not um, as True. was not frequent. It was not around uh, back then like it was. You know, in Disney World, actually, here's a fun fact: 
in Disney World, there are different lands in, in the Magic Kingdom, like the part that you typically think of with like Disneyland and Disney World. So you have the Magic Kingdom and Disney World, which is the one uh-huh. with the castle and all the different lands. You have Fantasyland and uh, Frontierland. And then you have, uh, I think, oh man, like it's, it's the American land. Like it's, I forget what it's called. It's not called American land, but it's like colonial land or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just based off of the colonial times in America. And there's actually this brown kind of looking river. You know, it's kind of a rubber, rubber, um, rubber flooring, you know, that kind of, it's just kind of rubber thing that, that you kind of see on like kid playgrounds and stuff like that. But it goes yeah. through um, the little streets of that, that area of that land and it's brown. And the reason for that is because it actually represents uh, the sewage that people in those times, they would dump out their sewage onto the middle of the streets and it would just kind of run through the middle of the streets like that. And so wow. they modeled uh, the look kind of, uh, they uh-huh. made an homage uh, to the way things were back in colonial times in Disney world. So wow. there you go. You could develop some plumbing and maybe some toilet paper and <laughs> you'd be able to, I, I, and, and maybe that would be the way to win hearts um, to, uh, to be convinced you were from the future. Well, surely. <laughs> and that would definitely, uh, <laughs> something to think about. Yeah. All right. Well, Pat, thank you so much. Uh, This has been a blast. Uh, Listeners, we hope this is helpful for you. We just want to show the accessibility and and relevance of God's Word today and just give you a chance to interact with it and uh, uh, be talking, listening with us. Um, So you can email any questions or comments to growupandtalkpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, Any feedback on the show or anything you want us to address or talk about. and we will talk with you next time.